Well, as that great intro video showed us, we're starting a new series today called How to Wreck Your Life. In the next five weekends, you will be learning some great ways to totally ruin your life, to totally wreck your family and your health and your marriage and your future. Now, aren't you glad that you came to Impact? Some are thinking, Pastor, I already know how to wreck my life. I, I learned that the hard way. But in this message series, we hope some people will be alerted to some things that we need to stay away from so we don't wreck our lives. And uh, hopefully we will learn some things to avoid. And I hope all of us will learn not just how to wreck our lives, but how to recover when you already have. And I'm guessing we all have a list of things that we learn the hard way. Do you have a list of things you learn the hard way? Uh, part of the time I was in high school, I worked for my dad who owned a auto wrecking yard. And um, that's a place where we sold used auto parts off of cars that people had wrecked or uh, that they thought were beyond repair. And so we were ahead in the recycling industry way back then. We were an auto parts recycling center. So one day, I was supposed to pull apart off of a car, and it was a hot day in Southern California, and I grabbed a bottle of RC Cola. You might not be old enough to remember RC Cola, but that was what I drank before I discovered Diet Coke, the nectar of the angels. And so I grabbed an RC Cola and I took it with me out to the car I was working on and I set the bottle by the tire of the car in the shade where I could reach it. And I got all my tools together and I crawled under the car to assess what I needed to do and I figured out that I needed to drain the gas line. And so I went looking for the gas can that we kept around to drain gas in but before I found the gas can, I found an empty Coke bottle. And I decided that that would work just fine. And so I took it back to the car. I crawled under the car. I drained the gas into this Coke bottle. And I set it aside and I went to work. And I was working hard. And I was under the car. And I got thirsty about 30 minutes later. And so I reached out and I grabbed what I thought was my RC Cola. And I took a swig and spit it out as fast as I could. I had grabbed the wrong bottle, and I had a mouthful of gasoline. But it changed my life. I only drained gasoline into a Coke bottle one time. Aren't there things that you do just one time? For example, you only put aluminum foil in the microwave <laughs> one time. And so I asked some of my Facebook friends for help, and I got a lot of help. One of um, them said, tasting, tasting Crisco because you think it looks like frosting is something that you do just one time. Another said her husband learned after an explosion that took the door off the microwave that hard-boiling an egg in the microwave was something you do just one time. A few people mentioned changing a baby without a clean diaper really close is something that you do only one time. Um, someone said testing the concept of Mary Poppins umbrella by jumping off a high wall is something that you only do one time. 
Someone said tasting earwax. Now, why would you even do that one time? I, I don't get that. Um, touching an electric fence, putting your ponytail in a fan, or your finger in a light socket, those are apparently things that you do just one time. And there are other great stories on my Facebook page if you want to go there and read them. But these are lessons that people learned the hard way. And in this series, we will be learning from uh, the journal of a guy who tried lots of different ways to wreck his life. Have you ever kept a journal? It's a little different than a diary. I mean, you aren't just recording the events of your day, but when I journal, I write down prayers and ideas and fears and disappointments. I process big decisions sometimes by journaling about them. And I write down message series ideas and ideas for upcoming events and illustrations. And I've written down my struggles with sin and uh, the hurts that I feel sometimes. And it isn't polished and it isn't pretty, but my journals contain what I really think. They contain what I really feel. And just so you know, I'm never going to let you read my journals. That isn't going to happen. But the Bible contains the journal of a wealthy king, and it contains a list of lessons that he learned the hard way. Thousands of years ago, King Solomon wrote down his thoughts in a journal that we now call Ecclesiastes. And he was the richest man who ever lived. He had unlimited resources. He was powerful and he was wealthy and he was charismatic and he was creative and he was wise. And at the end of his life, he was very honest and transparent and very broken. And as an old man in his journal, he gets very vulnerable and he talks about his biggest mistakes. So over the next five weekends... We will take a sneak peek into his journal and you will be surprised how relevant and practical his writings really are. We'll discover some ways to get life really right and we'll discover some ways to get it really wrong. We will hear Solomon say, do not do what I did. Don't screw up your life the way I did. He writes this journal to say, I'm begging you, don't do what I did and end up wrecking your life. I heard someone say, stupid means that you make the same mistake over and over. Smart means you learn from your mistakes. But genius means you learn from other people's mistakes. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to learn from someone else's mistakes. Now, I'm going to do something today that I would never do when I'm reading a good novel. I mean, some of you might be tempted when you're reading a good novel to skip to the last chapter, to read the last few pages, to find out how it ends. I never am. But today, that's what I'm going to do. I want you to see the conclusion first. And I promise that it won't ruin anything for you. But I think if we can see where Solomon ends up, where he eventually landed, that it will put the rest of his journal kind of in a different light. Here's where he eventually landed after he wrecked his life. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he writes this. That's the whole story. Here now is the final conclusion Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. He says, when it's all been said and done, life 
is about walking with God. It's about responding to his authority. It's about doing it his way. Solomon said, don't do what I did. Don't wreck your life. Walk with God and reach your full potential. Walk with God and find real freedom. Walk with God and experience deep meaning every day of your life. And Solomon started life with such promise. I mean, you can read about it in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. He was the second son of uh, David and Bathsheba. He was smart and he was handsome and he was charismatic. He loved God and he was handed the kingdom from his father. And God comes to Solomon in a dream and he says, ask me for anything, Solomon, and I will give it to you. And Solomon was really humbled by that. And he said, you know, honestly, God, I'm completely overwhelmed. If I'm going to lead these people, if I am going to govern them as their king, I need you to give me wisdom. And God was thrilled with Solomon's unselfish request. And God told him, I'm going to make you uncommonly wise so that you can lead well. And on top of that, God blessed him with wealth and with other good things. And when Solomon was young, he was focused on God. And when he was young and focused on God, he wrote the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And it's a book about true love, about how uh, when God and a man and a woman come together, it can be really great. And while he was still chasing after God, he also wrote the book of Proverbs. And it is filled with incredible godly wisdom. But some of you know this from your own experience. And some of you know this from uh, watching others. It's one thing to have wisdom. But it's quite another to apply it to your own life, isn't it? I mean, it's possible to promote great principles about living and yet never actually live them out. As you, uh, and I know as a teacher that it's possible you can stand up and you can say all the right things. You can talk a good game. You can unpack powerful truths for other people to listen to. You can know all of the right principles and wisdom and say all the right things and still wreck your own life. I remember one evening many years ago having an argument with my wife Jill and we were having this argument, and I really needed to leave and go to an appointment. And so uh, right after the argument, I left and went to the office for an appointment. I was meeting with a couple, and they needed marriage counseling. And literally, while I was telling them what I thought they should do to solve their problem, I thought, and if I had done that an hour ago... I probably wouldn't have to go home and apologize after this session. We would have avoided that fight. So we're going to find that Solomon's strength becomes his weakness. And instead of trusting the wisdom of God, he began to trust his own wisdom. And instead of seeking after God, he began seeking other things. Look at 
how he began his journal. Today, we would call it a literary hook. It will grab you. It will grip you. It will make you uh, make it so you won't want to put down this book. Here's how he begins. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How's that for a gripping opening? I mean, it makes you want to read on. Solomon really likes this word meaningless. Uh, He liked it so much that he used it 38 times in his journal. He says, as an old man looking back on life, I can tell you that life apart from God is like chasing after the wind. It's futile. It's like trying to grab hold of vapor or fog. It's meaningless and it's useless. And did you know that the choices that Solomon made not only wrecked his life, but it tore his family apart. It destroyed his family and it even destroyed the nation that he was leading. And isn't that the way it is? I mean, we rationalize it sometimes. We think, I'm not hurting anyone. It's just me. It's just my life and my choice. But our actions are hurting other people around us. Most times, the people that we love the most. And sometimes, there are just tragic circumstances. Do you realize Solomon is the same guy who wrote these incredibly wise words in Proverbs chapter 3? He wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. And now at the end of his life, he's saying, I wish I'd never stopped doing that. I wish I'd never stopped doing that. I wish I had never wrecked my family like that. I wish I had never wrecked my kingdom like that. I I wish I'd never wrecked my life. And if Solomon were standing on this stage this morning... I'm pretty confident he would say one of the easiest and best ways for you to wreck your life is to focus on what feels good. To focus on what feels good. Let pleasure set the direction of your life. If it feels good, do it. And you have to admit that that is the life philosophy of many people today. I mean, they spend their life just trying to feel good, thrill-seeking and drinking and spending and tasting and building and hooking up with as many people as possible. And many think the pursuit of happiness should be our guide. And that's what Solomon did. Instead of focusing on God, he had, as he had for so many years of his life, he began focusing on just what felt good. He began prioritizing pleasure and the pursuit of happiness. And as he talks about his search for meaning in his journal, in chapter 2, he writes about focusing on what feels good. And if you want to open your Bible or your device to Ecclesiastes 2, we'll be spending most of our time there today. Uh, Or you can read it on the screen or in your notes. But uh, though these words were written thousands of years ago, you will find that they still speak truth to us today. Notice first that many people chase after pleasure. Many people chase after pleasure. Look at what Solomon writes in verse 1 of chapter 2. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. 
But I found that this too was meaningless. So he searched for pleasure and he found it to be meaningless. And, you know, someone out there right now might be thinking to themselves, well, if he tried pleasure and, it, and he found it meaningless, he probably wasn't doing it right. Maybe he wasn't looking in the right places. Well, let me give you a brief rundown of the things that he said he tried as he chased after pleasure. First, he tried laughter. Look at verse 2. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? He made laughter one of his pursuits. Now, if you know me, you know I love to laugh. I love jokes. I love poking fun at myself and at other people. And I love comedy. But you know, I have found that for many, sometimes laughter is a way of masking pain, isn't it? In my experience, sometimes the life of the party is really someone who is really, really hurting. And they may be attention-starved or lonely or afraid or depressed. And their humor may be a defense mechanism. And some of the funniest people I know are also people who have really struggled with depression. And we've seen that with several famous comedians, haven't we? And Solomon said, I tried laughter and it didn't satisfy either. So he moves on and he tried partying. Look at verse 3. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Do you understand what he just said? He said most people only find happiness when they're drunk. So he says, I decided to just get drunk. Solomon was a party animal. And with the cash he had, he, he could throw quite a party. And so he sent out invitations for people to come to the party at the palace. And they had tailgating down before there was football. And way too many people have thought that they could find happiness in a party full of alcohol or drugs or other chemicals. And some have been out there this weekend trying to fill a hole in their heart with a party life. But if we're honest, we realize it just doesn't take long to realize that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. In our Celebrate Recovery program that we call Revolution that meets every Friday night, we have people who would tell you that the party life only brought deeper pain that chemicals only brought more frustration and that the party life only brought an addiction that absolutely wrecked their life. So Solomon moves on. Next, he tries projects. This one's a little more socially acceptable in our culture, so we probably should listen to this. But look at what he says, and starting with verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Now, Solomon must have been watching HGTV 
You know, he was watching all these shows. Chip and Joanna and the Property Brothers convinced him. And he said, you know, I have got to have that open concept in the palace. I've got to have granite countertops in my palace. And I've got to have the right view. I need an infinity pool that dumps into a 20-person hot tub that has a great view of my vineyards with the Jerusalem skyline beyond. And so he became obsessed with the comforts of life and with his real estate projects. And those became a little G God to him. And here's some interesting statistics. It was Solomon who built the temple to God. And Solomon took seven years to build an amazing temple for God. Seven whole years to build God's house. And then he spent the next 13 years building his house. He took nearly twice as long building his own house than it took him to build God's house. And maybe that should have been an indication that his priorities were out of whack. And the problem with projects is the excitement wears off quickly and you need to move on to the next project or you get bored. So Solomon moves on. And the last one, he kind of hides in the middle of verse 8. He tried sex. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 8. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Solomon kind of throws it in there that he had many beautiful concubines. And that was kind of an understatement. I mean, have you ever known someone that's constantly, they have this habit of bringing home stray animals and keeping them as pets. Well, Solomon kind of had this habit of marrying or adding to his harem every woman that he met. Look at what 1 Kings chapter 11 says. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubine. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Could 1,000 women satisfy Solomon? After exploring every sexual fantasy he could explore, after having every sexual experience he could imagine, it didn't bring any meaning, it didn't bring any significance, it didn't bring any sense of purpose. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon says, enjoy the wife of your youth all the days of your life. In other words, Solomon's advice to us is that we should do relationships God's way. We should do relationships God's way. So he tried laughter, he tried partying and projects and sex and after he tried all of that what was his conclusion look at verses 9 through 11 so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me anything I wanted I would take 
I, decide my, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But I looked at everything that I'd worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He is saying, trust me, I learned this the hard way. You aren't going to find happiness or significance if you focus on what feels good. Apart from God, it's all meaningless. It's all like chasing the wind. Wayne Smith, one of my ministry heroes who passed away a few years ago, used to tell the story of a guy who was really overweight, and uh, he went to his pastor and asked for help. And his pastor said, okay, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., I want you to be uh, at your door and ready in your running gear. And so the next morning he was ready, the doorbell rang, and when he opened the door, instead of his pastor being there on the other side, it was this really beautiful woman And she smiled and she said, the pastor says, if you can catch me, you can have me. And she took off running and so did he and he raced after her. But it wasn't long before he was winded and realized he couldn't uh, catch her. But she showed up the next day and he chased her again. And this went on for about six months until he was 165 pounds and a lean, mean running machine. And he woke up and he said, you know what, today's the day. I'm going to catch her today. But when the doorbell rang that day, when he opened it, there was a woman who looked a little bit like he had six months before. And she said, the pastor said, if I can catch you, I can have you. You know, a lot of us, we spend our entire life chasing the wind, reaching out, but never quite grasping what we think we want, seeking, but never finding. And you may be saying, but Steve, that's not me. I'm not like that. I mean, I don't let pleasure drive me. I'm not married to 700 women. I don't have 700 girlfriends. And I I don't renovate my house for 13 years. I, I don't throw wild parties. But I think there's still danger for all of us in this area. I think we could all wreck our lives if we're not careful. So let me share with you a few warning signs that might indicate that you're struggling with this at least a little bit. Here's some warning signs of chasing pleasure. The first is living the if-only life. The if-only life. Do you ever find yourself saying if-only? You know, if only I could make just a little more money, then I'd be happy. If only my kids would move out, (laughs) then I'd be happy. If only my kids lived closer, if only I had a reliable car, if only I got promoted, if only I had a different job, if only I owned my own home, if only I could sell my home, if only I could lose 20 pounds, if only I was better looking, if only I was rich, if only I was famous, if only I won the lottery. We seem to believe the lie that says my life is meaningless because just one thing's missing. If only that could happen, then I would be happy. And there's been a lot of research done about happiness over the last few years. And 
they show that none of these things has the power to bring lasting happiness. Solomon was right, and the research backs him up on this. Studies show that circumstances uh, count for only about 10% of our happiness. Circumstances have the power to make you feel happy for a while. I mean, you get the promotion, you get the A, you make the team, you get the new car, and you're really ecstatic for a while. But like the gallon of milk in your refrigerator, it has an extremely short shelf life on it, doesn't it? It's, it's like those toys your kids had to have for Christmas. It won't be long before they're unused and at the back of the closet or sold at a garage sale. I mean, that game that they just had to have last year hasn't been touched in months because now it's boring to them. And by the way, it's not just the kids. It's not just the kids. I mean, all of us have done that. We say, I would die to have one of those. And we get it. And you know where it is today? It's gathering dust. It's stored in the basement between the treadmill and the thigh master. Another warning sign that we're chasing pleasure is living the bigger and better life. This is a temptation that we all have to always be upgrading. The iPhone that was so cool isn't right now because the newest one has features that mine doesn't have. And that trip that you saved for years to go on and you're still paying the debt on was really nice, but your good friends just took this European vacation that sounds amazing and you need that because that's bigger and that's better than the trip you took and the bigger and better lifestyle causes you to constantly be working for what's next rather than enjoying what you have right now. The last warning sign we'll mention uh, that shows that we're chasing pleasure is living the I will be happy when life. This happens a lot people who are unhappy in their life they know they're unhappy but they plan to be happy one day they have plans they know that they're going to be happy soon they're going to be happy uh, in uh, just a little while and uh, you know this is kind of a combination of the first two they say I'll be happy when I graduate I'll be happy when I start working in my career field. I'll be happy when this project is finally finished. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when my kids are out of diapers. I'll, I'll be happy when I retire. And the problem with living the I will be happy when life is that it is a never-ending cycle. When one of those things that you thought would make you happy happens, you just fill in the blank with something else. I mean, you just fill in the blank with whatever's next on your list and you will never be happy because our feelings are deceptive. Our feelings lie to us. And here's something that has been proven in study after study. Happy single people become happy married people. And miserable single people become miserable married people and the grumpy people at work you know who I'm talking about they're on the other side of the cubicle wall you know that grumpy person that's always miserable and grumpy at work you know what they become they become grumpy retired people they're the ones standing out on their porch saying get off my lawn you know and happy people at work 
become happy retired people. So maybe happiness comes from a different source. In his book, The Law of Happiness, Dr. Henry Cloud says this, when we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we are ignoring the ones that do. Here's Dr. Cloud's conclusion. He says, happy people don't chase after happiness. They chase after God. And then happiness finds them. So that brings us to the last truth that I want to, you to take home with you today. And that's this happy people chase after God. Happy people chase after God. Here's my advice. Listen and pay attention to the truth that Solomon in his wisdom wrote when he was young and then wrote again when he was old. We read it from the end of Ecclesiastes and we read this from Proverbs earlier. Let's read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Life will be meaningless when you trust your own understanding, when you focus on what feels good to you, and instead you need to trust the Lord with all your heart. You need to seek his will in everything you do. His will for you is what's best for you. He created you. He knows you. He loves you. And uh, he completely and unconditionally loves you. And he isn't out to, to spoil your fun. He isn't being stingy. He isn't trying to keep you away from the really cool things in life and the fun things in life. The things he calls sin are sin because they bring hurt into your life. They will hurt you and they will hurt the people that you love. Those things really will wreck your life. They'll wreck your family. They'll wreck your career and so much more. So the choice is you, yours. Will you chase after pleasure and try to find meaning in the things that others have already proven over and over are meaningless and futile? Or will you chase after God and find your meaning and your significance in Him? If you have any questions or you want someone to talk with you or pray with you about this, maybe your life is a wreck right now and you need someone to pray with you or talk to you, you can just stop by our Next Steps canopy at the back of the room after the service. We'll be glad to help you take your next step towards following Jesus fully. But please listen to Solomon. Focusing on what feels good is a path to wrecking your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for loving us enough to give to us very real words from someone who did wreck their life to help us avoid wrecking our own. And Father, right now I pray for those who are in crisis right now. Their life's a mess. Father, I pray that you'll give them the courage to talk with us, to let us help them as they chase after you and find your peace and your hope and your strength. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for the fact that he came and he paid our price on the cross so that we could have a second chance, so we could have a do-over in life. 
And Father, we thank you so much for loving us in spite of the fact that often we have run away from you rather than towards you. So Father, give us the wisdom to trust you completely, to seek your will in everything we do. And Father, when you show us the path, we promise to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.